0: Today, we want to talk about the incompatibility of sin in the Christian. The incompatibility. Now, you think about that word, what does it mean to be incompatible? Now, most people will use it in reference to night and day. They're incompatible with one another. In other words, if it's day, it can't be night. If it's night, it can't be day. It's impossible for the two to be around at the same time. And so, night and day are often the the analogies that we use, are oil and water, because oil and water can't mix. And the idea of being incompatible is that we as Christians are incompatible with sin. But there are so many other illustrations that are used. Now, I'm going to use this for some of the younger generation. How many of you like to play video games? Anybody play video games? All right. Uh, It'd be like trying to use a Nintendo Switch controller for a PS5 game. All right. It's incompatible. No matter how much you try to work the controllers and use it with a different console, it doesn't work. The same is true. We say that about people oftentimes. We'll say they're incompatible with one another. In other words, they they don't match at all. They seem to mesh against one another. They seem to cause problems when they're together. They're incompatible. In truth, as a Christian, we should be incompatible with sin. It shouldn't be something that we participate in. It shouldn't be something that we do. It shouldn't be something that even comes into our lives. And yet, as Christians, guess what? We sin. Well, we're getting into a passage where John is really going to dig in deep, and he's going to show this incompatibility and why these things should not be so in the life of a Christian, why we as Christians should stay away from those things, why we should pursue righteousness. And so this morning, we're going to look at three reasons why sin and the Christian are incompatible. Let's begin in verse 4. We're going to see that sin is incompatible with the law. Look at verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgress also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Or another way of putting this is sin is lawlessness. That's actually the word that is used there in the Greek language. We actually are using two different Greek words here. The first one is hamartia. Hamartia is a more common name that is used for sin, and it simply means to miss the mark. In other words, it's an archery term, there's a bullseye, and if you hit anything other than the bullseye, you've missed the mark. So the idea is the the thing that we're shooting at is the perfection of God, and anything that is outside of the perfection of God is sin. And so then he says sin is lawlessness, or as our version says, transgression, but the idea comes from the word anemiah. The word "anomia" means rebellion against God, lawlessness. It means that we know what the law is and we break it anyways. We don't care. We just become frustrated and we do what we want to do. So he talks about here, he's talking about this kind of sin goes against the very laws of God. In fact, we understand this because in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, it says this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. you got to understand, when we are carnally minded, we are focused on what we can do in the flesh. We are focused on what we can get. There are oftentimes people will say this to me. They'll say, you know, I know I'm a Christian, but I just wanted to do it. Or you'll hear this statement. You'll hear, well, I didn't ask for permission. I just figure I'll ask for forgiveness later. That's a really bad mindset. In other words, what you're saying is, is I know the threshold. God has told me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyways. In fact, many of us act like teenagers. You remember when you told your teenager not to do something, right? You told them a specific time to be in, a curfew, right? And they said, well, I know what my curfew is, but I think I'll extend it anyways, right? And many of us will treat God like that. We know what the law is. We know what God desires from us, but because we want to do it, we're not worried about it. And so we cross that line. God tells us that is when we become carnally minded. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of James that when we break one law, we've broken all of it. But in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, listen to what it says here. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. For he that said do not commit adultery also said do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. That's always interesting to me because people say, well, I'm not that bad of a sinner. How many of you have ever said that before? (laughs) I'm not that bad of a sinner. And the reason why we say that is we categorize sin. Have you ever noticed that? We have, as humans, categories of sin. Because we'll say, well, I didn't murder anybody. You know, we think of that as being the worst sin that you could commit. I only told a lie. So we see murder up here and we see lying down here. So we categorize it and we say, well, I'm not that bad because all I did was lie. Well, do you understand what the Word of God says? It says sin is sin. Murder is the same as lying. It's breaking the law of God. You're transgressing. You're stepping over into an area of lawlessness because you're choosing to do what you want to do. Sin is lawlessness. We also find that Jesus spoke towards this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, he says it this way. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, Ye that work iniquity. That word iniquity there again is lawlessness. Ye that choose to break the bonds of the relationship you have with God. I wonder how many of you guys have ever broken some laws. Anybody willing to admit they broke some laws? How many of you speed? You've broken the law then, okay. all right. Some of y'all were trying to be like, I didn't break the law. Because y'all know there's some officers in here. Is that what you're afraid of? You're afraid they're going to arrest you right now? Uh, you think about it we we probably stepped over, we know it was wrong, we did it anyways and and here 's what God says. God says, you know what I call sin and here 's the thing. we try to get around sin sometimes, and we say, "Well, you know, I know God says it 's sin, but I think it 's changed today. Let me just go ahead and Throw something out there for you in case you ever hear this statement. God is different today. No, he's not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if it was sin back then, you ready for this? It's still sin today. Plain and simple. We don't get to dance around it. We don't get to change it. We don't get to do anything we want with it. It's still sin The Bible makes it clear. And therefore, if we choose to walk in that path, we are choosing to disobey God. Now, here's the amazing thing about the law that God has given to us. The law is pure. It is righteous. And when we see that in Psalm chapter 19, beginning in verse 7, it says it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, gay than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warm, and in keeping them there is great reward. You ever thought about this? That, that God gives us his law to keep us from transgressing and falling down the wrong path. You see, here's the thing about sin. God knows that sin is not healthy and it is not rewardful for you as a Christian. In truth, it's not healthy or rewardful for anybody in this world. Sin is just wrong. And God puts those regulations there, not to keep you from having fun, because I've heard people say that. You Christians are no fun. You haven't been around the Christians I know then. All right? Christians are fun. We just know how to have clean fun. We don't need alcohol to be able to laugh and cut up and have a good time. We don't need to be smoking a doobie to be able to have a good time. We don't have to do those things. We know to have fun in the Holy Spirit, and we know that the Holy Spirit can give you a greater high than anything this world has ever seen. We understand that God's Word is put here not to hinder you from having fun, but to keep you on the right track and keep you in the ways of God and to keep you safe from your own foolishness. The Word of God is pure, it's holy, it's righteous, it's perfect, it's It is good. But we as Christians are called to follow it. In fact, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, Paul says this, Know ye not? That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin under death or of obedience under righteousness. But God bethinked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. In other words, here's what he says. You're serving one of two masters. Whether you want to believe it today or not, you are someone's slave. Let me just go ahead and get that out there, all right? You are someone's slave. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You get to make the choice. Isn't that amazing? God has given you a path to free you from the slavery of sin. Sin will keep you longer than you want to and take you much further than you want to go. But if you get on the path of righteousness, I promise you the reward is great for those of you that surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You see, the law, was not put there to demean us. The law was not put there to keep us from having fun, but the law was put there to keep us on the right path and keep us close to the Lord. The law was put there as a tutor to help us understand that every one of us fails. There's not one of you in here today, including myself, that has not sinned. We fall short. I have fallen short many a time, but by the grace of God, through the forgiveness of God, We can stand here redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Sin is incompatible with the law. Second reason why sin and the Christian are incompatible is that sin is incompatible with abiding in Jesus. Look at verse 5 of 1 John 3. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. He's talking about Jesus here. He was manifested to take away our sins. John the Baptist said when he saw him walking across the coast, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said that. That's the guy who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's going to bear the sins of all people that they might be forgiven and they might be free. Isn't that amazing? You can't bear your sin. Because what will happen to you if you die in your sin is you will stand before God and you will stand before him all by yourself and he'll say these words to you, depart from me, I never knew you. But you see, God doesn't want you to stand there by yourself because so long ago he paid for your sins, he paid for my sins, he paid for the sins of the world. So that if we surrender to him, he stands there with you, bearing your sins, taking away the sins that you have committed. Man, when you think about that, he paid the ultimate price to take away our sins. I love in the book of Titus what Paul says there in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God. Don't you just love that word? For the grace of God. You know what grace is? Grace and mercy are two different things. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Mercy is is when you get something you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get something you deserve. But God has given you a gift that you don't deserve. It's by the grace of God. Listen, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know what Jesus died? He died for all men, not a select few, all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In other words, there should be a transformation in your life. You should not be the same. You should be changed, transformed, looking more like Jesus Christ. Then verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that, we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I don't mind being called peculiar. Are you peculiar? I'm peculiar. That's just fine with me. You think about it. He calls to redeem you. His own special, another word used there, special, peculiar kind of people. He loved you so much that his desire was to redeem you, to pay the ultimate price that your sins might be forgiven. And he did that on the cross so long ago. Here's the amazing thing. There's an illustration in the Old Testament. And you've probably heard the word scapegoat before. But usually when we think of the term scapegoat, we think of somebody that we put the story off on, don't we? We call them a sca- Do you realize scapegoat was a biblical term long before it ever became a modern term? The idea of a scapegoat was there was actually two goats that were bought before the people. One would be sacrificed, and one would be the scapegoat. In fact, the people would lay their hands on the goat, they would pray, uh, pray over that goat, their sins would be transferred to that goat, and then they would take the scapegoat, they would walk him outside of the city, and then they would release him, showing that their sins were taken away. Jesus Christ was your scapegoat. He took your sins and he chased them away. Never to be brought back. You see, when you think about this, he took away. He didn't just pay for the sins. He took them away. They're gone. They're done for. They're finished. They are forgiven. But look at this. He did it with what? Verse 5, and in him is no sin. Now you say, wait a minute. How did he take sin away if he had no sin? Well, this is... What that passage talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He made him who knew no sin. means he never sinned. He was not a part of sin. He never disobeyed God. But he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might have the righteousness of Christ in him. In fact, in Hebrews 4 verse 15, it tells us that we have a great high priest that was tempted in all things and yet without sin he never sinned but he became sin for you and me that our sins might be paid for i want to just stop for a second i want to think about that for just one moment because i want you to understand god hates sin he hates sin and yet his son the perfection of god came down in this world never sinned Turned away from sin, worship God, love. one another. You think about all these things that Jesus Christ did, and yet here is the epitome, the Son of God who became sin. The very thing he hated, he became so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. Man, there's nothing like that in all the world. There is nobody that could pay a price like that in all the world except Jesus. But look at verse 6. He goes into something very deep, and if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand this. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither known him. You say, well, what does that mean? Because if you read it, the way you read it, some of you will read it and say, well, that means as Christians we can never sin. Well, let me tell you something. That goes against directly what John has already spoken. He's not talking about that you can't fail because none of us become perfect. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, 1 John 1, eight says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You go over to verse 10 of John 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, he's talking to Christians here. My little children, he sings right unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's not talking about that we won't sin. I wish that the moment we got saved, we never sinned again. I wish that I could tell you that I've never fallen short since I became a Christian. I wish I could tell you that even today I didn't fall short as a Christian. I wish I could tell you that there are times in my life that I don't sin. But when I look at this scripture, and so often people look at this and they interpret it, and they, they have this perfectionist viewpoint. Let me tell you something. This is the problem with church today. If you have a perfectionist viewpoint, you are very hypocritical. Because there's not one of us in here that's perfect. Perfect. There has never been one in here that's perfect. There will never be one that's perfect until we receive that glorified body in heaven. We will not be perfect. So when I think about this, a lot of people say, well, then what is it talking about if it's saying we can't sin? Well, what it's talking about there is it's actually in the active voice. You can't keep on sinning. The idea is you can't have a habitual lifestyle of sin. That's what it means. You say, well, what do you mean a habitual lifestyle of sin? Well, let me turn over to Galatians chapter 5, where Paul speaks about this, verses 19 to 21. Listen to what Paul says here. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The actual translation says, they who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, what do you mean? That that means that we've got to completely change. Well, yes, that's what scripture teaches. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, listen to what this says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. And such were some of you. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you surrender to Christ, you turn from that sin. Now, here's the thing. We may mess up. Again, I told you, you can't become perfect, but you may mess up. But when we mess up, our desire is to get right with God again. It's to seek forgiveness. It's to seek His face. It's to turn back to the right direction. The problem is, is all too often there are people who supposedly make a decision for Christ, but their life never changes There's never a transformation. They continue to dabble in their lifestyle of sin. And let me tell you something. If you are committing sin after sin after sin, and you ask God to forgive and forgive and forgive, and you keep going back and back and back, can I tell you something? That's called habitual sin. That's called practicing sin. That's called living in sin. And when you live that way, you are choosing sin over the Savior, and you're not saved. You get that, right? Here's the thing. We have a lot of people that profess to know Christ. But man, they continue to go back to that old lifestyle. And they think that God's going to be okay with it. I've heard people make that statement when it comes to homosexuality. Can I tell you something? God can save out of homosexuality. I've seen it happen many a times. But he saves them out of it not to continue in it. He can save the adulterer out of those adulterous relationships, but he's not going to continue to save them as they go in it. He's not going to continue to allow you to get into sin and live and practice and be that kind of sinner and think that God is okay with it. He's not okay. He's not okay with it. The Bible makes it very clear that we can't habitually sin like that because it breaks the heart of God and it breaks union with God. In fact, here's the truth. The Bible says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us because they were never of us. Why? Because they choose their sin over their Savior. John wants to make this very clear. I I told him in our prayer group today, I said, I'm preaching a very difficult sermon. It's not easy. It's not easy for people to accept it, but it's truth. I'm here to tell you there are going to be far too many people that get to heaven one day. And they're going to say, Lord, I went to church. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There are going to be people that said, Lord, I sat in church for 60, 70 years. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, I did. But I did this. I even served in Sunday school. And I served as a deacon. And I I served in this ministry. And I served on this committee. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because they never turned over away from that lifestyle of sin. They continued to practice, they continued to live, and they never, ever got changed. Man, when I was in in high school, that's where God hit me. That's where He hit me. I had been going to church all my life. My mom and dad raised me up in church as a kid. But God hit me with this one thing. He said, have you surrendered? No, I had not. I went to church, I sang, I was in the youth program, I I even went on a mission trip, lost as could be, lost his last year's Easter egg. I'm here to tell you. And man, I thought I was all good and I thought everything was great, but I I wanted to know the difference. And they said, it's about surrender. Have you really given everything to God? I talked to a gentleman today and he made this statement and he knows it's true. God gave his all for me. I got to give my all to him. That's the trade I have to make. And that means that I turn away from that sin. I don't want to go back to it. I don't want to commit it. When I fail, I get right with God. I do everything I can to keep myself away from those sins. That's what God calls us to. And in verse 7, he goes in the opposite direction of that by saying, Little children, let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now, here's the thing. We look at that and some people say, well, I can't be righteous. It's it's by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's right. But as the righteousness of Jesus Christ comes upon you, it ought to start to change you. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit enters into you, and we're going to talk about him in just a moment. When the Holy Spirit enters into you, you don't want to take him to the places you used to go. You don't want him seeing the things you used to see. You don't want him hearing the things you used to say. You start to realize that you've got to be a different person because of who's inside of you. Because of who's working in you. Because of who owns you. You are a slave to righteousness. And he says, those who act righteously, those are righteous. In verse 8, he says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Isaiah 14 tells us exactly when J- Satan began to sin. Isaiah 14 tells us that he wanted to usurp the throne of God. He wanted to take God's place. That's where the first sin began. It began in heaven, not on earth. But it wasn't long after that he came down to earth and he began to tempt Eve to eat of the fruit of the garden. In Genesis chapter 3. He said, you can, you can eat. Surely you can. Certainly you can touch it. Certainly God, God just doesn't want you to be as smart as him. And she saw the fruit, she chose it, she ate it, and she gave it over to her husband. Now, here's the thing. For you men that sit there and you say, well, the woman was the first one to sin. Well, the man just stood there silently and watched it happen. So don't blame woman for sin when Adam was right there. I get so tired of men using that as an excuse. Grow up, stand up, be a man. If she's doing something wrong, tell her. It's that simple we got to stop hiding behind the cowardice and we've got to be men. But you think about this. This is what devil wanted to do from the beginning was to disturb what God had started with the family. He wanted to destroy the authority in the family. He wanted to destroy the perfect union with God within the family as well. He's a liar. He's always been. His desire is destruction and his desire is to destroy you. You say, well, I'm not his child. Well, I hope you're not. But if you're not a child of God, you're his child. And if you're his child, what you got to understand, the Bible tells you that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He even wants to destroy his own children. He wants to tear you apart. He wants to take you down, and he wants to take you with him. You see, as Christians, sin is incompatible with abiding in Jesus. If we're living in his name, sin doesn't need to be a part of our lives. And if it is, we seek forgiveness and turn things over to God. Lastly, sin is incompatible with the implanted seed. Look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. His seed remaineth in him. In other words, when you get saved, God implants a seed in you. You know what a seed does, right? Well, first the seed begins to take root. And then after it takes root... It begins to flourish and grow. He's implanted something in you, so he has an anticipation that you are going to grow. He has an anticipation that he's going to be able to root himself in you. An anticipation that he's going to begin to change you from the inside out. He's going to begin to do things that you've never seen before. What is this implanted seed? Well, I think there's a couple of things that Scripture teaches this implanted seed is. The first is it's the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, says this, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. He implants the word of God in you. In other words, as Christians, when I hear Christians say, well, I don't read the word of God. If he's implanted it in you, you should have a desire to read his word. I don't ever understand that. And, And I honestly say that when I was not a Christian and I was in church. No, I didn't read the Bible. Now I memorized scripture because I wanted to earn little toys in Sunday school. Any of you guys ever do that? You know, in Iwana, they earn badges and they they memorize scripture. But here's the thing. If I want the word implanted in my heart and in my life, I got to read it every day. Not as a child, not as a teen, but as an adult as well. When Christians say they don't understand the word of God, get you a copy you understand and read it. Stop making an excuse. Find a way to understand it. Learn it and put it in your heart. Because it's supposed to be implanted in there. But not only that, so is the Holy Spirit. Listen to John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Very, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. The moment you were born again, the moment you surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in you. That is the that is the seed that keeps growing. That's the gift that keeps on giving. And he is within each and every one of us. And if he's within us and he's implanted within us, then he should cause us to steer clear of sin. Can I tell you something? Every time I think about sinning, I'm just going to be real with you for a moment. Because it does happen. Every time I think about sinning, it's as if an alert system goes off in my mind. It's as if the sound goes off that says, abort, abort. That is not for you. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't act like that. It goes off all the time. Why? Because that's the Holy Spirit within me. He is trying to guide me away from sin. Don't go that direction. Don't say those words. Don't act that way. The Holy Spirit moves in such a way. You can hear that voice if you really listen. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will change you and he will keep you from sin. You cannot help but understand that. But it is also something about that regenerated spirit of being born again. That is changing within us. I don't want, can I just say something? I don't want to be the same. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be who I was when I was 18 years old. In fact, I, I, in 29 years of being a Christian, man, I have seen God truly change my life. I'm not the same guy. I have grown in his word. I have grown in the service that God has given to me. I just want to see God continue to move. I want to continue to be a vessel for his honor and for his glory. And I hope you do as well. And so often people say, well, I'm not called to preach. Can I tell you something? You're still called to be a vessel of honor. You're still called to be a vessel that God wants to use. There's still so many things that God wants to do in and through you. And the truth is, is this church couldn't function without every one of you. I know that. Everybody has to do their part. And when I look at these scriptures, the seed of God that is implanted within us should be transforming because we're born of God. I wonder if your dad ever sat you down and had a conversation with you something like this. John, you're a Ferguson. Wherever you go, you take our name. Wherever you go, you show who this family is. So whatever you do, you can either lift up our name or you can tear it down. I think God says that to us as Christians. You have my name. You carry my name with you wherever you go. You can lift me up or you can tear me down. Your actions determine what the world sees about me. The way you live, the way you talk, the way you act, the things you drink, the things you put in your body, the things that you do, everything that you are and everything that you do reflects me. Be careful what you do with my name we are children of God. Look at verse 10 though. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. He gives two things right there. He says, one, if you're going to commit acts of unrighteousness, better be careful. You might be showing you're not his. And two, if you don't love other Christians, you're going to be showing you're not his. It's that simple. I'm tell you, in the book of first john john didn't mess around and can you imagine how the church felt when they were reading these words what they saw was they heard this letter being read out to them what john was asking them to be and what john was asking them to do was nothing less than what jesus had already told them there needs to be a change people of time often come up to me and they'll say john how can i know that i'm saved my first response is this has there ever been a time in your life where you've been changed has there ever been a time in your life where you surrendered to God and you saw him changing you and, you saw, and other people could see that change in you as well? If the answer is no, then you've got a problem. If the answer is yes, the question is, is, why were you better off then than you are now? You see, John just wants you to know whose child you are. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. It's one or the other. You say, well, I don't serve either one of them. You do. You serve one whether you believe it or not. If you're not on the side of God, you're on the side of the devil. It's that simple. My question is, is whose child are you? Who are you representing? Whose name do you carry? And if so, are you carrying it well? Are you living as though you have no desire for sin? Or can you say that you have the Savior or sin is your master? Which one? Only you know. I can't tell you. Only you can tell yourself.